I had never used a flush toilet. Didn't know such a thing existed. And the first time I saw one and used it and hit that flush thing, my thought, my thinking was, now I don't know who thought this up, but they deserve a damn medal. That was Fillmore housing activist, Reverend Arnold Townsend. I'm Jeff. Welcome to Storied San Francisco, a weekly podcast where San Franciscans from all walks of life share their stories, and you get to know your neighbors. In this podcast, Reverend Arnold charts the course of his life for us, starting with his birth in Phoenix, Arizona in 1943. From there, he returned to his family home in the all-black town of Rentiesville, Oklahoma, His family moved to California in the late 1940s, and Arnold grew up in a rather integrated neighborhood in Watts in Los Angeles. Here's Arnold. I was born in Phoenix. Now, here's why. My family, my mother's family, uh, we're from Oklahoma. Where in Oklahoma? I'll tell you. It's a little all-black town called Rennesville, Oklahoma, 90 miles northeast of Tulsa, right at the Arkansas border. Beautiful part of the country, those Beautiful. Ozarks. As, oh yeah, as my late uh, Aunt Pearl said, we could walk from where our house was and step across the Arkansas border. She said, but nobody ever went over there because there wasn't none there. <laughs> <laughs> so she she said it was less there. Now now where we're from, I was back there in 2010. And we, it was a town of farmers. Mm-hmm. My granddad was a farmer. But everything has grown up now, grown over it. So when you pull into that valley, you see what they first saw. Mm-hmm. And you understand, and you understand what it was they saw that made them settle there. And so two men, Reverend Owen Robinson and William Rentis, had two parcels of land, I don't know, may have gotten an Oklahoma land rush, but they were contiguous. Mm-hmm. And they put them together to create the boundaries of the town. Oh, wow. Now, as a little kid, when I lived there, because uh, my mother was pregnant out of wedlock in 1943, okay. uh, the daughter of Deacon Cornwell, my granddad, okay. and my grandmom, uh, Nellie Cornwell. So she went to Arizona to have me. Uh, not because her parents banished her or anything like that, but uh, although I know she didn't want to be walking around in public in the town pregnant, but also because where we lived, by the time we got to a hospital, that would take us. Hmm. There might have been a hospital closer, but we couldn't go there. Right. You could die. Yeah. So what we did, she went to Phoenix where my aunt Murdy lived, my grandmother's sister, and lived with them to deliver me. Well, I wasn't delivered in a hospital in okay. Phoenix because they didn't take black people to the hospital either. This is 1943, you said? Okay. But there was a Native American, they called an Indian at the time, a mission clinic. And I was born at the Native American Catholic Fathers Clinic. Then I was born there okay. uh, in 1943. So it's sort of uh, like the, um, what's the guy on TV? Noah? Noah, you know, the South African 
guy. Oh, Trevor, Trevor, Trevor Noah. Noah. Yeah. Yeah. He, his, his story. Yeah. Wow. Well, his book, Born a Crime. Yes. Well, that's sort of, you know. Uh, Absolutely. At, at birth. Yep. They had to deal with discrimination at birth for me, both in Oklahoma and Arizona. And it's really interesting that where you ended up being born was a Native American. Yeah, I, I, all that, all that. Uh, okay, so. And so I was born there, brought me back at four months, um, World War II. Brought me back at four months to um, live with my um, my uh, uh maternal grandparents back in oklahoma yeah and she went to la to work okay and so i lived with them for four months till we left the farm in 1949 when i was six going on seven okay uh, so you do remember oklahoma oh i remember a lot i i remember that my uncle my youngest uncle was like a young teenager when we were in Oklahoma. Oh. He's probably about 30. Well, on the farm, there were certain jobs the youngest boy had. Yeah, sure. One of them was you had to go down in the, the lower pasture and in the evening and bring the cows up to the upper pasture where they'd be close to the house. Mm-hmm. No animals or thieves could get to them. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, he, you know, he helped my granddad on the farm. But the youngest boy had to churn the milk that oh, we wow. milked in the morning to put the butter and to make the butter and the cheese. These are all jobs you did. Well, no, those are jobs he was teaching me ah. before when we left. Okay. Because I was getting ready to take over those jobs, and he didn't want them anymore. And so it's like as soon as he can get you to learn it. So you was five, six, or ten. Right. You know, um, but um, he was getting rid of them quick. So. He would, and of course, at that time, I thought it was fun. Yeah. This stuff only becomes serious when you do it, and you say, "Okay, that's it," and it's like, "Oh, you're not finished." <laughs> then, then it, that, that's when it quits being fun and turns into work. Yeah. And it was just starting to turn into work when we left. My mother had nine brothers and sisters. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. The woman I date has eight. Okay. It was one just passed, but it was nine of them. Same mom and dad. Same. And my mother's, uh, and there was really like two sets. There was my mother's set of kids, five, and then there was a younger set that I grew up with, and I was was raised more like a little brother. Okay. In fact, all of their children call me Uncle Butch. Okay. And their kids call me Uncle Butch, even though technically they're cousins. cousins. Yeah. yeah. But I was like the oldest one of my nieces and nephews, I mean my cousins. Now, there are three girls older than me, but of the ones that they weren't in L.A., the ones I grew up with in L.A. or that I helped grow up. In LA, the youngest one is 11 years younger than me. Wow! So I'm 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 big guy. Yeah. And the greatest thing about it is, I was raised in the kind of family that now I'm like the second oldest man in the family. Right. And the respect they give me. Oh yeah. Is just, you know, I mean, I, it, it 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 brings tears sometimes. There you go. They yeah. just love me, and they you know they look out for me. We we have one uncle, who's uh, the last one of my mother's siblings left. And I think he's either going to be, July 5th, he's going to be 96 or 97. Wow. I think 97. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we, uh, so I go back, she takes me back there, and I'm on the farm, loving life, uh, spending time with my aunts and uncles who are all older. I'm the, I'm the baby. Uh, consequently, I am the spoiled child. <laughs> sure. All my aunts, aunts and uncles uh, hated me. Now, one interesting story. 
And actually, uh, I'll try not to repeat too many of them because I think this may be on telling our stories. Okay. But in 1948, my grandmother and I are going to L.A. Okay. on the Greyhound because she wants to take me to see my mama. Right. But I didn't know she was really scouting L.A. Oh. for the family. Okay. Because we moved the next year. Mm -hmm. So we went to L.A. and we're, we take the Greyhound. We're driving through, riding through somewhere. I don't know. I'm five years old. And this is before the interstate, right? Yeah. Well, You're on the U.S. Old, US these, highway. These U.S. highway. Oh, yeah. Oh, this yeah. is not I nothing. Nope. I ain't even thought of. <laughs> and so we're on these, and so, and we're on the back of the bus where we sit. So this young guy gets on, and I, I remembered him. He was really significant. It was a young white guy, and the first white man I'd ever seen with beard. Okay. Well, we're right. He sits right in front of us. He starts playing with me and everything. And he notices he has one of these things on his jeans with the keys. Mm -hmm. You know, you pull out. Mm -hmm. And I'd never seen one. So I keep he noticed I'm looking at it. So he gives it to me so I could play with it and all that. And uh, finally he says, uh, Ma'am, uh, you don't need to be on that hard seat with the baby. Why don't you sit up here and let me sit back there? My grandmama know the rules. Yeah. She said, oh, no, 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 yeah. no, thank you, I ain't, I ain't going. Oh, man, but... So then finally, he touches her compassion. He said, well, ma'am, I've only been out of the Army about a month. And, and, and now that I've been in the Army, I understand everything. That's why the beard, because one thing you don't want to do when you get out of the Army is shave, because you have to shave every day. Uh, what do you need? When I went in the Army at 22, I didn't need to shave. I didn't shave. They make you shave anyway. So he... Um, so when he said, and he said, I've been on the road for days. I'm retired. My folks don't even know I'm back in the country. I just want to stretch out. Hmm, he wanted it late. So he got, her, he got it. He got And she said, okay. So finally, uh, we stop at a town. I guess the driver looks in the rear view or whatever. And he walks back there and said, uh, ma'am, you're going to have to sit back. And he said, no, 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 no. She didn't do it. I asked her to change. And the driver said, I can't, you know, I want to stretch out. I can't help that. You have to sit up here. So the guy gets upset, and he says, man, that's an older woman with a little baby. Man, she shouldn't be on this hard-ass bed. And he kept saying, why do you care? Long story short, he says, I'm not moving. So he says, if you don't move, I'm going to have to get the police. He says, well, go get them. I'm not moving. So he comes back. And he, he with the cops. The cops tell him to move. He goes through the same thing with the cops. They don't care. You got to move. By then, by now, my mama is, because they said, if you don't move, we're taking you to jail. My grandmother's crying and said, Mr. Please, it's okay. It's okay. We don't mind. It's okay. And finally, he said, okay. And he moved. But now the interesting thing is, he was embarrassed, and he could, after playing and all that, and of course my grandmother had nothing but the utmost of respect for him, and but he could hardly look at us the rest of the, the time he was on the uh, on the bus with us. Right. He could hardly look at us. It was very interesting. That was my first experience out of Oklahoma. Okay. And we came to L.A. and then we went back and we moved. Anyway, so we came out here in 49. We, we went to Bakersfield for about six months. Okay. And didn't like it for whatever reason. 
I, I don't know if we didn't like it. We went to L.A., I think, because there's more job opportunity. Do you remember? You were six or seven? Yeah. Something like that? Do you remember? I mean, you, you were saying you'd never barely been in a car before, but you're in California. Do you remember it being different? When or I, what did you when think? When I first hit here, I thought this was the most amazing thing that I had ever seen. And we're still talking about Southern California. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I had... Uh, First of all, I had never used a flush toilet. Didn't know such a thing existed. And the first time I saw one and used it and hit that flush thing, my my thinking was, now I don't know who thought this up, but they deserve a damn medal. After you've been using nothing but outhouses, this is like... Oh, God, I can't A miracle. Believe. Yeah, and, and so I had never, I thought TVs in 1949 and 50, I thought televisions were like rocket ships. I didn't know, I would see pictures of them in magazines or I read comic books incessantly and I would see the pictures. I thought they were pigments like uh, Dick Tracy's watch. Fake, fake. Yeah, yeah. said he. Science fiction. Hey, said he as he sits here with, with an Apple, Apple watch, watch on. <laughs> But I thought the stuff was fake. Did you listen to radio? Oh, yeah, we had radio. Baseball and that kind of program. No, no, no. yeah, we listened to uh, Gunsmoke. We listened to The Saint. uh, Oh, The Shadow. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The Shadow Know. The Inner Sanctum. The Creaking Door. Uh, 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 Who else did we like? Oh, and on Saturday mornings. Buster Brown, uh, B- Buster Brown. Oh yeah, yeah I remember my, Buster uh, Brown. I'm Buster Brown. I live in a shoe. This is my dog Tide. He lives in there too. I remember that from back then. Uh, Archie, mm-hmm. Archie Andrews. Uh, uh, Sat- there was a whole slew of Saturday morning programs right. for kids. Just as uh, it was that way uh, when the cartoons started on TV back in my day. So TV was part of this kind of magical. New place that you're going yeah, to. Yeah, we didn't have one. In about 1950 or 51, my Aunt Murdy had a TV. We, we, we moved to Watts when we moved to California. I mean to L.A. from Bakersfield. And uh, she lived seven or eight blocks from us. Now, remember, these are L.A. blocks. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a nice walk. And uh, Joe Lewis was going to be boxing mm-hmm. on TV. So we went over to her house to watch TV. And it was a couple of Mexican families that lived near her. They were there in the house. All kind of people. Now, it was no problem for me because I was little. So I wiggled my way right to the front sitting on the floor. <laughs> I had the best scene out. Yeah. We were all there watching a round eight-inch television screen. Wow. Eight inches. Yeah. That's your, your iPad is bigger. Yeah, it's than the size of my iPad. Yeah. That's about. Yeah, and it, it's like 20, 30 people in the room. But I'm gonna guess it didn't matter. It didn't matter. We didn't know they came bigger. Number one. And what you're seeing, and, on and the, out of all those people in there, she the only one had one. Right. This, by the way, is the same aunt that was in Arizona, okay. who had by by now moved to uh, L.A. Who, who helped your mom come yeah, out there and yeah. get, get and you born? Yeah, that was always you okay. Know, her favorite. So, and. She was the supreme, superior cook. Oh. She could cook. Now oh we're talking. God. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, after, and, and what's so wonderful, 
after it was just her and Uncle Richard in the house, she never learned how to cook hmm. for just her and the two the two of them. Oh, that small. Yeah. yeah. So anytime we were riding, me and any of my buddies were riding around in high school and we were in Watts, one of them would say, Arnold, how's your aunt doing? You don't care about my aunt. <laughs> you just want something. <laughs> and, and it was no problem. She loved it. Tell us some of the, the things she would make. Oh, uh, my favorite thing. In other words, make me hungry. Yeah, the, my favorite thing that A. Murray would make was uh, uh, blueberry cobbler. Now, I like peach cobbler, mm-hmm. but it can't hold a candle to bear blueberry or blackberry cobbler. Yeah. It can't hold a candle to it. Yeah. She would make, make those. In fact, around uh, L.A. and Watts at that time, you had all these wild berries they grew. Right. Almost any vacant area. Yeah. They just grew. And we go out and pick them, bring them back <laughs> to coerce her. Turn this into a pie. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. And she had no trouble. She um, and, and then, you know, our family staples, oxtails, turkey wings, uh, some, some brilliant stuff. Vegetables? Uh, huh? What kind of vegetables? Vegetables. Um, my family, of course, big on greens, mm-hmm. cabbage mm-hmm. were primary staples. But also, we did some Brussels sprouts. Oh, yeah. I don't remember, I don't remember, no broccoli. Beans, though? Huh? Beans? Oh, red beans, black eyed peas, mm-hmm. uh, okra. Mm-hmm. I love okra. I, a lot of people, they don't like it. I love it. It might be my favorite. But they would do, and she would do the, the succotash kind of, mm-hmm. where you have okra, corn, corn tomatoes, be- beans, tomatoes. Sometimes lima beans. Sometimes lima beans, yeah. I love that stuff. Oh, I love it. I go back so far. The one tedious job that they never had trouble getting me to volunteer to do, I go back both with at my aunt's house and at the church in, in Oklahoma of, of when we had to make our own ice cream. Oh. With one of those ice cream makers with the crank. And the kids would take turns. And we didn't have no trouble doing it. Yeah. And, and this is why I tell people, one of the problems that difficulties that it creates for us when you can go to the store Just buy and buy ice cream yeah. because it teaches you a little bit about life mm-hmm. that if you can endure you should endure a few things because of what's going to come out at the end to earn it we didn't mind churning yep because we knew what was coming out at the end was good oh and there's nothing beats that kind of ice cream oh well that's the best ice cream Lived with my grandparents till I was about nine or ten. Okay. And and I want to say this too. Everyone, talk to your kids. I lived with my grandparents till I was ten. Then I started living with my mother. Somewhere I adopted the belief that at around ten years old or so, that my grandmother. Well, I lived with my, I started living with my mother about 10 or so, and around 14, my grandmother died, who I was super close to. Yeah, yeah. I told you, I was her favorite, and everybody knew it. Well, and so I found like, you know, and being an only child, my best friend was gone. So somewhere around then, maybe before, I internalized this thought that I remembered being at my grandmother's house, hearing her have an argument over the phone with my mother. Because my my mother wanted my grandmother to keep me, and my grandmother wanted my mom to take me, 
and they were fighting because neither one of them wanted me. Hmm. Now, when I was 47, my mother died in a car accident. Mm -hmm. So this is 30, almost 40 years later. So we had the, the funeral in LA. I preached her eulogy. We go to my Aunt Jewel's house. Now, Aunt Jewel was the, my mother's baby sister. Okay. She's only five years older than me, so we grew up best friends. Right. So I'm at the house, and I'm telling my other cousins that story. And thank God, Jewel happened to be walking by. And she stopped and looked at me and said, Fool, that ain't what happened. Oh. They were fighting because uh, your mother was telling your, your grandmama, but mama, he's my son and he ain't never lived with me. Mm -hmm. She said, and mama pulled out the old person car. Well, baby, you know I'm old and sick now and he's a big help to me. And as soon as she said it, I remember the conversation the right way verbatim, but for 37 years, you had I carried that. nobody wanted me. And that is the danger of not talking to your kids. When I went to live with my mom, we lived on the west side. Okay. First we lived on Figueroa, and then we bought our first home in about 1953. So you're 10, 10 I'm nine ten. or 10? Yeah. I'm 10. Okay. And my mom and dad are working, and they had decent jobs for that time. I mean, they were bringing in, between them, they were five figures, like maybe 11,000. Did you? Did, did they have any other kids? No, you're, you're still an only I'm child. I'm an only child. Okay. And so they never had any other kids. Now, the interesting thing about this, and which is really uh, more than fascinating to me, is that they, they're making almost a grand a month, not quite. So that's good money in 1953, not quite. And we buy our first house. When my mom died, my dad and I are going through stuff and pulling out old pictures and getting rid of stuff. And, and I found a payment card, you know, that you have to use to make your payments. When you buy a house, you know, you get your payment book. Oh, right, yeah. right, right. Well, I remember when we lost that because they had me tearing up the whole damn house. And I guess they got with the bank and finally figured out how to pay their bill because they, they paid it. And I looked on it. And their house note, they, they paid $8,000 for the house. And their house note was $71 a month. Whoa. Now you're taking the 71 out of about 900 a month. That's pretty good. That's a really nice, that's pretty good. reasonable, sensible piece of your income. Yep. And that's in the 50s. Was that part of, because I, I mean, if I have my history right, well, I should just ask you. No, what? Go ahead. Wasn't after the war one of the things they wanted like uh it was like the rise of the, the middle class and all that and and a lot of and yeah. and homes were affordable well, they were building they homes were that were affordable now all that black folk didn't get them right my my dad we bought that first home uh we didn't buy it with gi mm -hmm. with a va a home loan the black soldier veterans weren't allowed i was gonna say to is this also that. when and again i'm sorry if my my history is wrong but redlining was yeah, that well, that was redlining. Yeah. Now, but it, it wasn't as bad as you would think. Let me, let me, I'll tell you what happened. Okay. 1953. We integrate a street, a neighborhood. We integrated this street. Because we bought our house from a young couple, white couple, with one child, 
who was moving out towards Orange County because that's where the job was and they were transferring him out there. His parents lived next door because in those days, you know, we our families were still units. So we didn't need senior citizen buildings. Folk lived next day. You didn't need child care because your grandparents was a child care. Right. I remember my grandmother meeting me at the gate and we walk home together. And on days when my granddad didn't have to go to work because he's working construction, maybe it was rainy or something, I really loved it when he picked me up. Because we were going to take the Great Circle route home, and he's going to walk down 103rd Street in Watts. That was the main drag in Watts. And he's going to talk to uh, all his old buddies. and We're going to eat something. <laughs> Hot dog, tacos, ice, Ooh, in LA, ice cream, something. So I yeah. loved it when he picked me up. Yeah. Well, usually it would end with ice cream, whatever else we ate. We almost always got some ice cream. So I love walking with Papa. But So that was uh, the child care at that time. But anyway, we... Uh, um, we bought, so they, they, they wasn't going to let their grandchild get that far away from them. Mm -hmm. So they moved too. So those houses were for sale. We bought one and Annette, uh, her and her family, it was a black family, they moved next door to us. And so, and then Leon moved down the street and Nornice and Jojo. Are and, these your family members? No, these are friends. Or friends. Yes, people friends. who moved on, black people who moved on our street. Got it. But after that, the street stayed intact for about six or seven years, from 53, and we left to moved again in 59. But the street stayed intact. And so the, all the white kids on the block were mostly Irish. I grew up, Bill, Bill Kelsey, Kate, uh, Kelsey, Buddy Losack, Marvin Smith at the corner. We all grew up together, man. Yeah. What kind of stuff do you play out in that? When kid, I'm going to tell you. People ask me, what was it like growing up in L.A. in the 50s? I said, you ever watch Leave it to Beaver? Yes. They say, I said, very similar, mm. except two things. One, most of our mothers worked. But there was a couple of mothers on the bill, Kelsey's mom and a couple of others, that didn't work. And they would, like in the summer, they would block moms. Because you didn't have no babysitters right. in them days. Right. About 10 years old, you was on your own. All your daddy said, well, we'll be back after work. Don't burn down the house. And that was it. You know, yeah. shit. No. And he said, you know why you came back down the house? I said, why? I said, because then where we going to live? Which made perfect sense yep. to me. Yep. And I always imprinted when I turned the burners off if I made breakfast in the morning. Mm -hmm. I imprinted so I could remember the act of doing it. And one time I'm sitting in elementary school. I couldn't remember the act. I jumped up. I said nothing to the teacher and ran all the way home. And I didn't say nothing to the teacher because I was way more scared of my daddy oh, yeah. than I was. And I get home, the skillet is burnt up, and the whole back wall of the stove. It's not sin, it's just got black smoke. Yeah. So I scrubbed the wall. But like a damn fool, I only scrubbed the wall. That one wall. Mm -hmm. I ain't scrubbed nothing else or even the wall next to it. So... It's like a searchlight when my mama walk in the kitchen and see that she said, uh, I get home. What, 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 what went on in here today? Nothing. Why you wash that wall? I don't know. I just felt like it. She said, boy, you so damn lazy. You barely feel like wiping your ass after you take a dump. The hell you mean you felt like it. So, of course, I had to finally confess. But, you know, I grew up in LA in an era where you not only don't tell, you don't snitch, mm -hmm. but you especially don't tell on yourself. Yeah. You don't snitch on you. Yeah. So so even though it's nobody but me, her and him, 
I would still say, how did that get broken? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't do it. Your mama didn't do it. it I can't, ain't nobody else but you. I can't help that. I still didn't do that. <laughs> and it's like, well, get out of here before I hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, but, but we integrated the block. Mm -hmm. And the block, oh, oh there was Denny uh, Berrigan down the block. And, and this is a great. See, I tell people growing up in the 50s, I grew up in an era when, a country, when the country almost made it. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm taking a narrow uh, test group, but the guy on the bus in 48. Mm -hmm. Then, I never, nobody ever had any trouble with the people who lived on our block that knew us. Right. We were kids on the block, and we were treated that way. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Ferguson, I, I actually had an Irishman across the street named Mr. Ferguson, who was a fireman. Okay. And he lived over there with his dad. Mm -hmm. And his dad was elderly. And, you know, you couldn't always play football on everybody's lawn because mm -hmm. they didn't want you. But, but us who, you know, were kids, we could play on our lawn. Mm -hmm. But there would always be a lawn in the middle that you play, would, would mess up the field. Mm -hmm. So, But Mr. Ferguson, uh, Bill Kelsey lived next door. And somebody else lived next door to Miss Ferguson on the other side. So we could have a three-yard field, which is the right size. Uh, Miss Ferguson would let us play. He said, the only thing is, and he told us the hours of when his dad, would, who's elderly, would be taking a nap. We couldn't play while mm -hmm. the dad would nap. But other than that, it was cool. What, you know, and so Were we, there driveways between these yards? Oh, yeah, that was driveways. So that was some concrete you could fall on. Way back there, that's the end zone. But then yeah. there's in between, and you could yeah. fall on. But, 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 you know, that made you tough. Exactly. The, the, yeah, the, the, the cement was little good scrape. for you. Little scrape. Little, little scrape. Skin gets scraped yeah. off. You know, they give you a scab to pick at in class. Right. Help you pay attention. <laughs> so, so keep your daydream. So he takes us to the beach. And uh, we get ready to go eat. So after the beach, he gonna buy, he's going to buy everybody hot dogs or hamburgers, whatever you prefer. The only call. A hot dog, I think, was a nickel or a dime. A hamburger was a quarter. Unless you want cheese, dinner with 30 cents. So, you know, but he's going to buy it for us. We go in this diner, which is a famous place now. We go in this diner, Santa Monica. The first, now, I've only, uh, only been from Oklahoma about four years. Uh, and I get to uh, show, we go in there, and this is the first white man I ever seen one in person, one of the Chef Boyardee hats on, you know, <laughs> or the Chef hat. Yeah. So uh, I thought, this is cool. So we sit down, they got these red leather booths, you know. Mm -hmm. And and he, uh, the man comes out, he wants to talk to Mr. Berry. So they're talking and talking. We're not paying any attention. Because like kids, you don't pay attention to adults until, no. unless you're forced to. They sound like the Charlie so, Brown teacher. Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> yeah. So finally he comes over and says, all right, all y'all go outside. So we go outside. Now we think that we've been cutting up so much that the man don't want us in his restaurant. So we're all nervous now. Because if he tell our folks, we're going to get killed. And I tell people, this is back in the 50s when, when white people still whipped their kids. So, you know, so we're out, but we're still screwing around. <laughs> that didn't make us any better. And, we're, and he brought us all out in the station wagon. It's about 10 of us. So it's like, get off my leg. There's no seatbelt laws in them days. Get off my leg. So all of a sudden, one of the guys says, hey, guys, look it. We look in the window. 
And Mr. Berrigan and the guy are in a heated argument. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, Mr. Berrigan just hauls off and drops the guy with a strong right hand, tags him on the job. And I'm like, we don't know what's happening, but we would miss the Mr. B. Yeah. And so we like, kick his ass, Mr. B. Kick his ass. We don't care. We on his side. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he, he walks out after that, says, get in the car. And we're like, oh, shit. Our parents are going to find out. We've acted up so bad that we've made grown men fight. See, in my day, grown men didn't get into fights like they do now. Mm -hmm. You know, two guys have road rage. They didn't do that shit, man. Mm -hmm. Because we lived in a much saner time in many ways. Not in every way, but in many ways. So the, the life pressure was not on us. So uh, he walks out, drives us home, doesn't say a word. Thanks, Mr. Berg. Well, he drives to his house. We all get out and run home. Thanks, Mr. Berg. And see you. Mm. Yeah. That night, dinner, my dad, what'd you do today? I went to the beach. Would you go to the beach with Mr. Berg. Mr. Berg. Mom said, oh, no, I said he could go. I forgot to tell you. Oh, mm -hmm. white man taking my kid to the beach. All of a sudden, doorbell rang. It's Mr. Barry. So I have to leave the room. My folks told me what it was. They, we got in the restaurant, and the guy came out and told Mr. Bergen he didn't want me, Leon, Annette, and whoever else, the black kids, in his place. And once again, Mr. Bergen they're little kids, why do you care? And then somewhere in the course of the discussion, he used that special N-word. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Berrigan didn't play that. Mm -hmm. And when I say I grew up in the era when the country almost made it, that's not the only time I've ever heard of, of a white guy doing that. Mm -hmm. That was, to me, that was more likely to happen then. Uh, than now, right. because we become so psychoanalytical, we can always find a way to excuse it, We're acknowledging that it that it's awful, but we understand, right? You know, and so, um, but that's the way we grew up. That was Reverend Arnold Townsend. Join us Thursday for part two, when Arnold will share the story of how he ended up in San Francisco. And he'll tell us some of the work he does today. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography for this episode is by me, Jeff Hunt. I also host and produce the show. Our website is storiedsf.com, where you can browse more than 110 episodes and help support us by buying merch from our store. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. If that's Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do us a quick favor and rate and review the show. And if you have any feedback or people you think should be on the podcast, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay home, stay healthy, and stay safe.